Volume One, Section Nineteen of the Life of Charlotte Bronte. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. French excerpts read by Ruth Golding. The Life of Charlotte Bronte by Elizabeth Cleghorn Gaskell. Volume One, Section Nineteen. Chapter Thirteen. The moors were a great resource this spring. Emily and Charlotte walked out on them perpetually, to the great damage of our shoes, but I hope to the benefit of our health. The old plan of school-keeping was often discussed in these rambles, but indoors they set with vigour to shirt-making for the absent Branwell, and pondered in silence over their past and future life. At last they came to a determination. I have seriously entered into the enterprise of keeping a school, or rather, taking a limited number of pupils at home. That is, I have begun in good earnest to seek for pupils. I wrote to Mrs. Blank, the lady with whom she had lived as governess just before going to Brussels. Not asking her for her daughter, I cannot do that, but informing her of my intention. I received an answer from Mr. Blank, expressive of, I believe, sincere regret that I had not informed them a month sooner, in which case, he said, they would gladly have sent me their own daughter, and also Colonel S.'s, but that now both were promised to Miss C. I was partly disappointed by this answer, and partly gratified. Indeed, I derived quite an impulse of encouragement from the warm assurance that if I had but applied a little sooner, they would certainly have sent me their daughter. I own I had misgivings that nobody would be willing to send a child for education to Haworth. These misgivings are partly done away with. I have written also to Mrs. B., and have enclosed the diploma which M. Eger gave me before I left Brussels. I have not yet received her answer, but I wait for it with some anxiety. I do not expect that she will send me any of her children, but if she would I dare say she could recommend me other pupils. Unfortunately she knows us only very slightly. As soon as I can get an assurance of only one pupil, I will have cards of terms printed, and will commence the repairs necessary in the house. I wish all that to be done before winter. I think of fixing the board and English education at twenty-five pounds per annum. Again, at a later date, July twenty-fourth in the same year, she writes, I am driving on with my small matter as well as I can. I have written to all the friends on whom I have the slightest claim, and to some on whom I have no claim, Mrs. B., for example. On her, also, I have actually made bold to call. She was exceedingly polite regretted that her children were already at school in Liverpool, thought the undertaking a most praiseworthy one, but feared I should have some difficulty in making it succeed on account of the situation. Such is the answer I receive from almost every one. I tell them the retired situation is, in some points of view, an advantage, that were it in the midst of a large town I could not pretend to take pupils on terms so moderate. Mrs. B. remarked that she thought the terms very moderate but that as it is not having house rent to pay we can offer the same privileges of education that are to be had in expensive seminaries at little more than half their price and as our number must be limited we can devote a large share of time and pains to each pupil thank you for the very pretty little purse you have sent me 
i make to you a curious return in the shape of half a dozen cards of terms make such use of them as your judgment shall dictate you will see that i have fixed the sum at thirty-five pounds which i think is the just medium considering advantages and disadvantages this was written in july august september and october passed away and no pupils were to be heard of day after day there was a little hope felt by the sisters until the post came in but haworth village was wild and lonely and the brontes but little known owing to their want of connections charlotte writes on the subject in the early winter months to this effect i emily and anne are truly obliged to you for the efforts you have made in our behalf and if you have not been successful you are only like ourselves every one wishes us well but there are no pupils to be had we have no present intention however of breaking our hearts on the subject still less of feeling mortified at defeat the effort must be beneficial whatever the result may be because it teaches us experience and an additional knowledge of this world i send you two more circulars a month later she says we have made no alterations yet in our house it would be folly to do so while there is so little likelihood of our ever getting pupils i fear you are giving yourself too much trouble on our account depend upon it if you were to persuade a mamma to bring her child to haworth the aspect of the place would frighten her and she would probably take the dear girl back with her instanter we are glad that we have made the attempt and we will not be cast down because it has not succeeded there were probably growing up in each sister's heart secret unacknowledged feelings of relief that their plan had not succeeded yes a dull sense of relief that their cherished project had been tried and had failed for that house which was to be regarded as an occasional home for their brother could hardly be a fitting residence for the children of strangers they had in all likelihood become silently aware that his habits were such as to render his society at times most undesirable possibly too they had by this time heard distressing rumours concerning the cause of that remorse and agony of mind which at times made him restless and unnaturally merry at times rendered him moody and irritable in january eighteen forty five charlotte says branwell has been quieter and less irritable on the whole this time than he was in summer anne is as usual always good mild and patient the deep-seated pain which he was to occasion to his relations had now taken a decided form and pressed heavily on charlotte's health and spirits early in this year she went to h to bid good-bye to her dear friend mary who was leaving england for australia branwell i have mentioned had obtained the situation of a private tutor anne was also engaged as a governess in the same family and was thus a miserable witness to her brother's deterioration of character at this period of the causes of this deterioration i cannot speak but the consequences were these he went home for his holidays reluctantly stayed there as short a time as possible perplexing and distressing them all by his extraordinary conduct at one time in the highest spirits at another in the deepest depression accusing himself of blackest guilt and treachery without specifying what they were 
and altogether evincing an irritability of disposition bordering on insanity charlotte and emily suffered acutely from his mysterious behaviour he expressed himself more than satisfied with his situation he was remaining in it for a longer time than he had ever done in any kind of employment before so that for some time they could not conjecture that anything there made him so wilful and restless and full of both levity and misery but a sense of something wrong connected with him sickened and oppressed them they began to lose all hope in his future career he was no longer the family pride an indistinct dread caused partly by his own conduct partly by expressions of agonizing suspicion in anne's letters home was creeping over their minds that he might turn out their deep disgrace but i believe they shrank from any attempt to define their fears and spoke of him to each other as little as possible they could not help but think and mourn and wonder february twentieth eighteen forty five i spent a week at h not very pleasantly headache sickliness and flatness of spirits made me a poor companion a sad drag on the vivacious and loquacious gaiety of all the other inmates of the house i never was fortunate enough to be able to rally for as much as a single hour while i was there i am sure all with the exception perhaps of mary were very glad when i took my departure i begin to perceive that i have too little life in me nowadays to be fit company for any except very quiet people is it age or what else that changes me so alas she hardly needed to have asked this question how could she be otherwise than flat-spirited a poor companion and a sad drag on the gaiety of those who are light-hearted and happy her honest plan for earning her own livelihood had fallen away crumbled to ashes after all her preparations not a pupil had offered herself and instead of being sorry that this wish of many years could not be realized she had reason to be glad her poor father nearly sightless depended upon her cares in his blind helplessness but this was a sacred pious charge the duties of which she was blessed in fulfilling the black gloom hung over what had once been the brightest hope of the family over branwell and the mystery in which his wayward conduct was enveloped somehow and sometime he would have to turn to his home as a hiding-place for shame such was the sad foreboding of his sisters then how could she be cheerful when she was losing her dear and noble mary for such a length of time and distance of space that her heart might well prophesy that it was for ever long before she had written of mary t that she was full of feelings noble warm generous devoted and profound god bless her i never hope to see in this world a character more truly noble she would die willingly for one she loved her intellect and attainments are of the very highest standard and this was the friend whom she was to lose hear that friend's account of their final interview when i last saw charlotte january eighteen forty five she told me she had quite decided to stay at home she owned she did not like it her health was weak 
she said she should like any change at first as she had liked brussels at first and she thought that there must be some possibility for some people of having a life of more variety and more communion with humankind but she saw none for her i told her very warmly that she ought not to stay at home that to spend the next five years at home in solitude and weak health would ruin her that she would never recover it such a dark shadow came over her face when i said think of what you'll be five years hence that i stopped and said don't cry charlotte she did not cry but went on walking up and down the room and said in a little while but i intend to stay polly a few weeks after she parted from mary she gives this account of her days at haworth march twenty fourth eighteen forty five i can hardly tell you how time gets on at haworth there is no event whatever to mark its progress one day resembles another and all have heavy lifeless physiognomies sunday baking day and saturday are the only ones that have any distinctive mark meantime life wears away i shall soon be thirty and i have done nothing yet sometimes i get melancholy at the prospect before and behind me yet it is wrong and foolish to repine undoubtedly my duty directs me to stay at home for the present there was a time when haworth was a very pleasant place to me it is not so now i feel as if we were all buried here i long to travel to work to live a life of action excuse me dear for troubling you with my fruitless wishes i will put by the rest and not trouble you with them you must write to me if you knew how welcome your letters are you would write very often your letters and the french newspapers are the only messengers that come to me from the outer world beyond our moors and very welcome messengers they are one of her daily employments was to read to her father and it required a little gentle diplomacy on her part to effect this duty for there were times when the offer of another to do what he had been so long accustomed to do for himself only reminded him too painfully of the deprivation under which he was suffering and in secret she too dreaded a similar loss for herself long continued ill health a deranged condition of the liver her close application to minute drawing and writing in her younger days her now habitual sleeplessness at nights the many bitter noiseless tears she had shed over branwell's mysterious and distressing conduct all these causes were telling on her poor eyes and about this time she thus writes to monsieur Eger. il n'y a rien que je crains comme le désoeuvrement l'inertie la léthargie des facultés quand le corps est paresseux l'esprit souffre cruellement je ne connaîtrais pas cette léthargie si je pouvais écrire autrefois je passais des journées des semaines des mois entiers à écrire et pas tout à fait sans fruit puisque southey et coleridge deux de nos meilleurs auteurs à qui j'ai envoyé certains manuscrits en ont bien voulu témoigner leur approbation mais à présent j'ai la vue trop faible si j'écrivais beaucoup je deviendrais aveugle cette faiblesse de vue 
est pour moi une terrible privation. Sans cela, savez-vous ce que je ferais, monsieur J'écrirais un livre et je le dédierais à mon maître de littérature, au seul maître que j'ai jamais eu, à vous, monsieur. Je vous ai dit souvent en français combien je vous respecte, combien je suis redevable à votre bonté, à vos conseils. Je voudrais le dire une fois en anglais. Cela ne se peut pas, il ne faut pas y penser. La carrière des lettres m'est fermée. N'oubliez pas de me dire comment vous vous portez, comment madame et les enfants se portent. Je compte bientôt avoir de vos nouvelles. Cette idée me sourit, car le souvenir de vos bontés ne s'effacera jamais de ma mémoire, et tant que ce souvenir durera, le respect que vous m'avez inspiré durera aussi. Agréé, monsieur, et catara. It is probable that even her sisters and most intimate friends did not know of this dread of ultimate blindness which beset her at this period. What eyesight she had to spare she reserved for the use of her father. She did but little plain sewing, not more writing than could be avoided, and employed herself principally in knitting. April 2nd, 1845 I see plainly it is proved to us that there is scarcely a draught of unmingled happiness to be had in this world. Blank's illness comes with Blank's marriage. Mary T. finds herself free and on that path to adventure and exertion to which she has so long been seeking admission. Sickness, hardship, danger are her fellow-travellers, her inseparable companions. She may have been out of the reach of these southwest-northwest gales before they began to blow, or they may have spent their fury on land and not ruffled the sea much. If it has been otherwise, she has been sorely tossed while we have been sleeping in our beds, or lying awake thinking about her. Yet these real material dangers, when once past, leave in the mind the satisfaction of having struggled with difficulty and overcome it. Strength, courage, and experience are their invariable results. Whereas I doubt whether suffering purely mental has any good result, unless it be to make us by comparison less sensitive to physical suffering. Ten years ago I should have laughed at your account of the blunder you made in mistaking the bachelor doctor for a married man. I should have certainly thought you scrupulous over much and wondered how you could possibly regret being civil to a decent individual merely because he happened to be single instead of double. Now, however, I can perceive that your scruples are founded on common sense. I know that if women wish to escape the stigma of husband-seeking, they must act and look like marble or clay, cold, expressionless, bloodless. For every appearance of feeling, of joy, sorrow, friendliness, antipathy, admiration, disgust, are alike construed by the world into the attempt to hook a husband. Never mind. Well-meaning women have their own consciences to comfort them after all. Do not, therefore, be too much afraid of showing yourself as you are, affectionate and good-hearted. Do not too harshly repress sentiments and feelings excellent in themselves, 
because you fear that some puppy may fancy that you are letting them come out to fascinate him do not condemn yourself to live only by halves because if you showed too much animation some pragmatical thing in breeches might take it into his pate to imagine that you designed to dedicate your life to his inanity still a composed decent equable deportment is a capital treasure to a woman and that you possess write again soon for i feel rather fierce and want stroking down june thirteenth eighteen forty five as to the mrs blank who you say is like me i somehow feel no leaning to her at all i never do to people who are said to be like me because i have always a notion that they are only like me in the disagreeable outside first acquaintance part of my character in those points which are obvious to the ordinary run of people and which i know are not pleasing you say she is clever a clever person how i dislike the term it means rather a shrewd very ugly meddling talking woman i feel reluctant to leave papa for a single day his sight diminishes weakly and can it be wondered at that as he sees the most precious of his faculties leaving him his spirits sometimes sink it is so hard to feel that his few and scanty pleasures must all soon go he has now the greatest difficulty in either reading or writing and then he dreads the state of dependence to which blindness will inevitably reduce him he fears that he will be nothing in his parish i try to cheer him sometimes i succeed temporarily but no consolation can restore his sight or atone for the want of it still he is never peevish never impatient only anxious and dejected for the reason just given charlotte declined an invitation to the only house to which she was now ever asked to come in answer to her correspondent's reply to this letter she says you thought i refused you coldly did you it was a queer sort of coldness when i would have given my ears to say yes and was obliged to say no matters however are now a little changed anne is come home and her presence certainly makes me feel more at liberty then if all be well i will come and see you tell me only when i must come mention the week and the day have the kindness also to answer the following queries if you can how far is it from leeds to sheffield can you give me a notion of the cost of course when i come you will let me enjoy your own company in peace and not drag me out a visiting i have no desire at all to see your curate i think he must be like all the other curates i have seen and they seem to me a self-seeking vain empty race at this blessed moment we have no less than three of them in haworth parish and there is not one to mend another the other day they all three accompanied by mr s dropped or rather rushed in unexpectedly to tea it was monday baking day and i was hot and tired still if they had behaved quietly and decently i would have served them out their tea in peace but they began glorifying themselves and abusing dissenters in such a manner that my temper lost its balance and i pronounced a few sentences sharply and rapidly which struck them all dumb papa was greatly horrified also but i don't regret it on her return from this short visit to her friend 
she travelled with a gentleman in the railway carriage whose features and bearing betrayed him in a moment to be a frenchman she ventured to ask him if such was not the case and on his admitting it she further inquired if he had not passed a considerable time in germany and was answered that he had her quick ear detected something of the thick guttural pronunciation which frenchmen say they are able to discover even in the grandchildren of their countrymen who have lived any time beyond the rhine charlotte had retained her skill in the language by the habit of which she thus speaks to m Eger. Je crains beaucoup d'oublier le français. J'apprends tous les jours une demi-page de français par cœur, et j'ai grand plaisir à apprendre cette leçon. Veuillez présenter à madame l'assurance de mon estime. Je crains que Maria Louise et Claire ne m'aient déjà oublié. Mais je vous reverrai un jour. Aussitôt que j'aurai gagné assez d'argent pour aller à Bruxelles, and so her journey back to haworth after the rare pleasure of this visit to her friend was pleasantly beguiled by conversation with the french gentleman and she arrived at home refreshed and happy what to find there it was ten o'clock when she reached the parsonage branwell was there unexpectedly very ill he had come home a day or two before, apparently for a holiday. In reality, I imagine, because some discovery had been made which rendered his absence imperatively desirable. The day of Charlotte's return he had received a letter from Mr. Blank, sternly dismissing him, intimating that his proceedings were discovered, characterizing them as bad beyond expression, and charging him on pain of exposure to break off immediately and forever all communication with every member of the family. Whatever may have been the nature and depth of Branwell's sins, whatever may have been his temptation, whatever his guilt, there is no doubt of the suffering which his conduct entailed upon his poor father and his innocent sisters. The hopes and plans they had cherished long and labored hard to fulfill were cruelly frustrated. Henceforward their days were embittered and the natural rest of their nights destroyed by his paroxysms of remorse. Let us read of the misery caused to his poor sisters in Charlotte's own affecting words. We have had sad work with Branwell. He thought of nothing but stunning or drowning his agony of mind. No one in this house could have rest, and at last we have been obliged to send him from home for a week with someone to look after him. He has written to me this morning expressing some sense of contrition, but as long as he remains at home I scarce dare hope for peace in the house. We must all, I fear, prepare for a season of distress and disquietude. When I left you I was strongly impressed with the feeling that I was going back to sorrow. August 1845 Things here at home are much as usual, not very bright as it regards Branwell, though his health and consequently his temper have been somewhat better this last day or two, because he is now forced to abstain. August 18th, 1845 I have delayed writing because I have no good news to communicate. My hopes ebb low indeed about Branwell. I sometimes fear he will never be fit for much. 
the late blow to his prospects and feelings has quite made him reckless it is only absolute want of means that acts as any check to him one ought indeed to hope to the very last and i try to do so but occasionally hope in his case seems so fallacious november fourth eighteen forty five i hoped to be able to ask you to come to haworth it almost seemed as if branwell had a chance of getting employment and i waited to know the result of his efforts in order to say dear blank come and see us but the place a secretaryship to a railway committee is given to another person branwell still remains at home and while he is here you shall not come i am more confirmed in that resolution the more i see of him i wish i could say one word to you in his favour but i cannot i will hold my tongue we are all obliged to you for your kind suggestion about leeds but i think our school schemes are for the present at rest december thirty first eighteen forty five you say well in speaking of blank that no sufferings are so awful as those brought on by dissipation alas i see the truth of this observation daily proved blank and blank must have as weary and burdensome a life of it in waiting upon their unhappy brother it seems grievous indeed that those who have not sinned should suffer so largely in fact all their latter days blighted with the presence of cruel shameful suffering the premature deaths of two at least of the sisters all the great possibilities of their earthly lives snapped short may be dated from midsummer eighteen forty five for the last three years of branwell's life he took opium habitually by way of stunning conscience he drank moreover whenever he could get the opportunity the reader may say that i have mentioned his tendency to intemperance long before it is true but it did not become habitual as far as i can learn until after he was dismissed from his tutorship he took opium because it made him forget for a time more effectually than drink and besides it was more portable in procuring it he showed all the cunning of the opium-eater he would steal out while the family were at church to which he had professed himself too ill to go and managed to cajole the village druggist out of a lump or it might be the carrier had unsuspiciously brought him some in a package from a distance for some time before his death he had attacks of delirium tremens of the most frightful character he slept in his father's room and he would sometimes declare that either he or his father should be dead before the morning the trembling sisters sick with fright would implore their father not to expose himself to this danger but mr bronte is no timid man and perhaps he felt that he could possibly influence his son to some self-restraint more by showing trust in him than by showing fear the sisters often listened for the report of a pistol in the dead of the night till watchful eye and hearkening ear grew heavy and dull with the perpetual strain upon their nerves in the mornings young bronte would saunter out saying with a drunkard's incontinence of speech the poor old man and i have had a terrible night of it he does his best the poor old man but it's all over with me End of section 19